morning. Say thank you to Crystal and our children for beginning us in worship today. As Crystal said, this is a special Sunday in which we talk about our, our shoebox ministry and partnering with Samaritan's Purse as they literally send thousands and hundreds of thousands. In fact, they are, they've declared that they have sent over 100 million shoeboxes into all parts of the world. And I want to share a little bit about that history and about that partnership that we have with them today and encourage you, um, as you would go home this week, some of you have already packed your boxes. We had Sunday school classes packing boxes today, and I know some of you will leave this morning committed to, to filling a shoebox up and bringing it back next week as we have the chance to, to bless children, literally, through all parts of the world. We're talking about, as we look at these flags of the world, as we look at the numbers of folks that do not follow Christ this month, we are talking about the truth and the reality, the power of the Spirit of God, that one person, one person faithful to God, one person faithful in their witness of God, can impact and change the lives of many. 1993, 20 years ago, some of us weren't even around in 1993, and some of us were. 1993 was one of the things going on in the world, was a, a terrible civil war in the country of Bosnia. It was described as an ethnic cleansing. Described as the Croatians and the Bosnians who were people who historically hated each other. And because of political things, the fall of communism and, and things that began to be stirred up in that part of the world, some of the, the, the controls and some of the, uh, the lids of authority that kind of restricted that kind of violence disappeared. And by 1993 was the height of this civil war. And horrible, evil accounts of, of how families, of how children and women and, and men were killed and executed and destroyed were, were filtering through the news media, and, and, and it was just a horrible time, especially in that part of northern Europe. Operation Christmas, not Operation Christmas Trial, but Samaritan's Purse, the, the broader company that, uh, or, or ministry that, that Operation Christmas Child is a part of, was invested and involved in Croatia and Bosnia, particularly in Bosnia, with humanitarian relief. Franklin Graham had already been into to Bosnia that year to take humanitarian supplies and, and offer relief efforts. One day when he came back in, in the early summer, he received a phone call from a gentleman in England. And here's what this gentleman said. He said, will you help us? Will you help us help the children of Bosnia who have been left homeless, injured, and hopeless? Will you help us? I want to fill empty shoeboxes with small toys and needed items to deliver to the children of war in Bosnia at Christmas time. Will you help us? As Crystal shared with the children earlier, there's, there's a story in the scripture that's somewhat like that. It's the story of a man through a vision calling out. You can just see him standing on, on the beach on the coastline of his country, waving, come. Come and help us. Come and help us. It's a story that we focus on today. It's the story, as, as Crystal has shared with our children, it's the story of how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, arrives 
in Europe. If you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is where this story takes place. Now this is taking place in what we call, in, in the book of Acts, the second missionary journey. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas had gone out on the first missionary journey. It was a shorter journey. It was to take the gospel to, to the area in, in that part of Asia that was fairly close to uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Caesarea, and in that part of the world. This is the second missionary journey in which Paul and Silas are going back into more Western Europe in order to share and to spread the gospel. Along the way, they pick up Timothy. Timothy joins them. Timothy is one of, of Paul's mentees. It's a, a young man that he shared the gospel with, that uh, he baptized and that became kind of his preeminent first child in the faith. And so these three men begin to make their way through Eastern, excuse me, through Western Asia. And we pick up in verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been, now watch this, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. What I want to talk about here is, is a blocked border. If any of you have ever been on a mission trip, especially internationally, one of the most anxious times of the journey is when you come to the border. Now that border could be in an airport, it could be on a bus as you travel from one country to the next, but there is an amount of tension and anxiety because you're not guaranteed passage into a foreign country. And, and you, you, we don't know the details, but here's what, what was going on. Paul and his, his companions believed that God was calling them to go into this part of, of Western Asia. And if you look at your map, most of your maps that, that have some study materials will have a map of those missionary journeys. And, and you can see that part of Asia that they were trying to get into and to share the gospel. Again, we don't know why these borders, why these doors were closed, why the Spirit of God did not permit Paul and his companions to go into these areas. There are other commentators that might say, well, there was, there was Jewish opposition that was waiting on them in the synagogues, in the, in the places of religious leadership in those places, and they were sitting and waiting for Paul to come so that he might be arrested and put to death. But we don't know. But what we do know is that the Spirit of God blocked their entrance into these places. But now remember... Imagine yourself, first of all, being Paul. We're, we believe God may be leading us here. We're going to move this way. We're going we're to take a mission trip and go to these places. And, and you come to these border crossings and you're, you're not permitted to go in. You're not permitted by the Spirit of God, by whatever circumstances were there, to share the gospel. But Paul was a man of faith. And he operated in relationship with God. And he did not grow discouraged. But he continued on trusting that God was directing their paths. By faith, a blocked border becomes or leads to an open passage. So they continue on in their journey. They, they can't stay there because they're not able to cross in, so they continue on in their journey. And if you'll notice, it's kind of a remote area, and they make their way al along that northern perimeter, and they end up in a place called Troas, which is on the sea, and that's where God begins to open 
doors and to open passage into a, a new place. Listen to what the Scripture says. It says that Paul has a vision that one, we don't know if it's that night or several weeks or several months later, but Paul has a vision. And he sees a man standing in Macedonia appealing to them to come for help. Look in verse 9. In this vision, this man says, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, look at, look at your passage. There's a couple things that are really exciting. So why did Paul have to go to Troas? Well, it was here he had this vision to go. It was here he had this vision that God was opening up new, new avenues, new places, new peoples for which the gospel could be shared. Remember, Acts is the story of how the gospel begins to move into all parts of the world. And so this is the story in which the gospel comes to Europe. Notice something real interesting. This is what Bible scholars, if, you, if we have any folks that want to be Bible scholars and study scriptures, it's fascinating. Here's one of the things that a Bible scholar would, would pick up on. Look in verse... Look in verse 6 again. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian, having been forbidden. After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of God did not prevent them. Look what happens in verse 10. When he had seen the vision, immediately they, right? No, we. We sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Did you, did you pick that up? We moved from they to us. We moved from third person, a story about others, to a story about us, a, a group in which, which the author is a part of that. Luke was the author of Acts. And what biblical scholars have decided is that Luke was in Troas. Most likely was already a believer and follower of Christ, whether he knew uh, Paul at that time or not, we don't know. But until they got to Troas, Luke is telling the story that they were the, of, of them. When they get to Troas, Luke becomes a part of the group. And we, we move on. We move past this point in, in the story of, uh, of the second missionary journey to where Luke, the author, is a part of the group that's sharing the gospel. So one of the reasons that Paul and, and them were told no into crossing into the border was so that Luke could join them. God was preparing someone else to come and to be a part of the trip. Isn't it interesting that sometimes, listen carefully, a no from God is part of a greater yes that He is directing us to. Respecting God's no is often the very first step to understanding God's clear direction and yes. You see, we can't do everything. So we must be sensitive to how the Spirit of God is directing us so that those things that God has called us to do, we can be a part of. There's a lot of good things that we can be a part of. But what I want to be a part of is, is, is that thing are those things that God has uniquely equipped and called me to do. Respecting God's no leads the way to clear direction. So as we journey, as we, as we experience those border blockings, we must learn to be patient, we must learn to be consistent in our faith, and we must learn to be obedient to those nudgings of the Spirit of God to continue on. Continue on. Well, we, well, 
we feel like we're blocked here. Let's continue on. Let's go on to Troas. Let's trust that God is in the midst of this. You see, too often we settle for less than what God desires and we miss out on the journey and on the relationships that God intends for us. The word that's used here in my translation, the word concluding, verse 10, concluding that God had called us to preach, indicates that that even along the journey that God was stirring within Paul's heart and life the need to go into Europe. And so this vision then and these border blockings become the way that God affirms and allows Paul to fully understand this great yes that God was offering to go into Europe. God's no in Galatia and Bithynia for that time meant that Paul and his companions with the addition of Luke were ready to go and share the gospel to a people and to a place where God was moving and where people were ready to respond. As they take off there in, in, that, in those, those verses there in that area, the scripture says they were able to steer a straight course. That's a nautical term that refers to the winds were behind them and pushing them. And so, God, so, so Paul and his companions understood there's this vision to go to Europe. We get on a ship and wow, the tailwinds are strong. And look, man, God is directing and leading us in, in a straight path right to Europe, right to those that God is calling us to. Now what happens when you go into a place where, where, where the gospel's never been before? How do you begin to share your faith? It seems that that was Paul, one of Paul's questions and one of their struggles. What I, what I want to kind of, maybe this is a familiar phrase to you, maybe it's different. What, what begins to take place is they begin to search for what I call a person of light. As a seminary student, I had a chance to go out to Southern California right after the OJ trial and, wow, that's ancient history, isn't it? Uh, Rodney King beating, and there was a lot of racial tensions in that area. But we were able to, to get connected with a church there that was wanting to start some some churches, some house Bible studies, so they could begin to see if God was leading to start a church. And so as we went out and as we met there, the plan was to begin to go door to door, knocking on doors, and just saying we're, we're, we're Christian men and, and we've come to see if there's any way we could pray with you or if you have any prayer concerns that we could pray for you. And, and, and what they began to talk about was discovering who are the people of light in these communities. And once we discover who the people of light are, who the people that that God has already begun to stir in, then we can begin to connect and build relationships with them so that we can begin to see what God would do in the form of house churches and and other type of of community of faith expressions. That's what takes place here as as Paul goes into Europe. Scratching their head. Now, where are we going to go to find some people of light? They can't go to the synagogue. Why? Why? Most scholars would say there there wasn't a synagogue at this time. And so what they discovered was that in those communities where there was no synagogue, that often people of faith would gather outside of the city limits around a, a, a river or a comfortable place where there might be shade and water, and they would gather to pray, to talk about the things of God. And that's what Paul did in verse 13 and 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing, they were expecting that there would be a place of prayer. And they sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. 
And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things of God. Who was Lydia? She was a worshiper of God. She, she, did not, she had not fully converted to Judaism, but she was a Gentile who discovered Yahweh and was a person that was seeking Yahweh. A woman of prayer, a woman of devout faith, much like Cornelius that we talked about last week. And Paul went to, to gather with him in prayer and he began to talk to him and began to share his faith in Christ with him and, and to tell about this, this God that came uh, as the Son of God and died for their sins. And the Scripture tells us that God had been preparing Lydia and that He caused her heart to respond to the Gospel. And the Scripture says she received Christ not just her, but her entire household. Where do people gather to seek and to find God in our community today? In churches, certainly. But, but there's other places too. And part of our opportunity and challenge is to discover where is it that God is gathering people who are sensitive and open to, to Him. And where we can go and we can sit down with them and we can engage with them in conversation, in service. Some, some, of, the greatest, some, some of our great nonprofits in our community are, are, are founded upon the idea that, that people believe that God is leading them to help others. Now, the, the, the conversation about who God is and what God is may be totally different, but these are people that are sensitive to, to God. And so we... we find ourselves in these places we put ourselves in these places in our community where people are are sensitive and open to God so that we can share with them the final revelation of God through Jesus Christ we're to find we're to put ourselves in those places looking for people of light so here's my question are you a person of light are you a person where people struggling in darkness come to that allows you to share your faith and hope in Christ? Who are the persons of light that you're pursuing? Who are the persons of light that God is placing before you? Those words mean two different things. The, the Christian is the person of light, is the one who's experienced Christ. The unbeliever is the one that is that seeker of God, that knows there's a God out there, but, but is unsure about what that means. How are you experiencing light in this place? Who are the persons of light that God is placing before you to minister and to serve? Simple gifts are one of the ways that God uses to introduce others to Christ. I can just see the, in my mind this vision of Franklin Graham talking on the phone to this gentleman in England saying, Franklin, come over here. Come to Bosnia. We need to help some children. That year, that first year through churches in the United States and in, in Canada, just a couple of phone calls that Franklin Graham made they created, they built 28,000 boxes that went over. It blew everyone away. They thought they might, they might gather 1,000 boxes to take. But when those few churches discovered what was going on, the generosity of God began to flood in and they were overwhelmed. What are we going to do with this? But God provided. And they got to Bosnia with these boxes. On the way to one of the, the planned distribution points, schools and orphanages is where they focused, on the way to one of those, those places, they came across 
a burned out, derailed train. And as they came across the train, they noticed people were living in those places because their homes had been destroyed. And children began to come out of this, these, these boxcars that had been derailed. And they discovered that basically there was a small community living there. And that was one of the very first unplanned gift distributions. Children that had nothing receiving boxes of, of stuff, of toys, of hope. They continued on. And they came to a, to a school. And I want to share with you the story of one of the girls that received a, a gift box that first year. Because you see, Franklin Graham, his, his, the purpose of our shoe boxes is that they would be a vehicle in which the gospel of Christ is shared with others. One of the girls that received one of those first boxes is a girl named Layla. She was 12 years old when she received a shoebox in Bosnia. The story says, her testimony is that she literally walked to school five miles every day. She was so poor and things were so desperate in her community that she had only had open-toed shoes in the middle of winter. Snow was everywhere. A bulldozer would come by in the morning to plow off a path, of path to school for the children. Her mom wrapped her feet in plastic bags so she could walk to school to provide some kind of protection. That day, she said, I, I, I don't want to live. I don't want anything to do with life. So she chose to walk through the local minefield on the way to school, set, reflecting that her best friend and one of her other friends, their best friend had been killed the day before, and another one of her friends had lost her leg that day, and she thought she'd just walk through the minefield so she could die too. To her dismay, she survived the walk through the minefield, so she decided to walk through what they called Sniper's Alley knowing that she would be sniped, she'd be killed as she walked there. Again, to her dismay, she survived Sniper's Alley. She started walking up to school, and she saw the children out in front with boxes. And she thought, what in the world are kids doing with boxes? Why would anyone need or want a box, an empty box? And she began to make her way closer to the school. One of the boys said, hey, they're giving out boxes, go get one. And she showed up in the room, still not understanding what was going on. And, and a man came up to her and she was angry. She was still mad. She was mad at God because God hadn't taken her and killed her that day. And he gave her a shoebox. And she said, I didn't want the shoebox, but I didn't want him bothering me. So I knew if I took the shoebox, I could run away and he'd leave me alone. And she grabbed for her shoebox. And she said it weighed so much that she almost dropped it because she didn't know there was something inside of it. And she ran off. And she began to sit in that corner wondering what was inside of it. And sure enough, as she got the courage to open up that shoebox, it was a pair of tennis shoes that fit perfectly on her frozen feet. And she said, and even if that wasn't enough, there were pencils in there. She said, I'd been using this, everyone in the classroom used the same nub for a pencil. She said, there was a notebook of paper in there. She said, the notebook I had, 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 I'd had for three years, and there wasn't any more space to scribble on. And she went on and on about the things that were in there. That night she got home and she told her mom, and her mom said, where'd you get all this stuff? And she said, a man named Jesus gave it to me. She said, I thought Jesus was some guy that lived back in America, so I took out one of my new pencils and one of my new papers, and I wrote a thank you note to Jesus in America. And I went back to school the next day, and I gave it to the gentleman. And he said, Jesus isn't a man that lives in America. Jesus is, is the Son of God that loves you. 
And she says that her life, she was 12 years old, but she says that's the day that her life began. She concludes this story this way. In Jesus' wonderful way, he reached down from heaven into a little girl's frightened heart and he saved me. And he used a shoebox to do this miracle in my life. Today I may not have many physical possessions, but I have the most valuable and lasting possession of all, eternal life. To make it sweeter, Jesus allowed me to come to America and to say thank you to all those Christians who made the shoebox ministry possible. I have my own family now. And we are privileged to pack 1,500 shoeboxes each year. If only one person finds salvation through these boxes, my life will have been worthwhile. I am among the 100 million souls that have been touched by Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes and changed by the life of Jesus Christ who reached out to touch me. You see, it's just a shoebox, and I don't have time to, to open mine today. It's just a shoebox, isn't it? But it's an incredible vessel and tool that has been created by God to reach out to children across the world to bring hope and to bring Christ. Yes, to meet some needs, and it's incredible to hear some of the stories about how God impacted lives through specific needs. People today are still calling out for help. Here's one way that you can reach out and make a difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of shoeboxes and the gift of Christ. Father, we pray that you would allow us to be people of light and that you would introduce us to people of light, even in our own community. Father, may you be glorified in our worship as we focus on you, as we live our lives to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.